two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and invite His presence to be with us. Father, we're thankful for the privilege we have to come before You this morning. I pray that You would be with us this morning in our time together. I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to Your Word, that we would hear what You would have to say, that we would apply it to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are beginning a new series today. And uh, the title of our series is Our Worship, Ecstasy, or Intimacy. And uh, we are going to, over the next few weeks, be taking a look at worship. God desires our heart. And uh, He desires a worship that comes from our heart. And uh, so we are going to be looking at what it means to worship God. So this morning... Uh, we are going to take what uh, you would probably deem an unusual text to uh, speak about worship and, and probably not uh, where you would uh, immediately uh, think to go when we're talking about worship. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we will begin reading at verse 41. It's a familiar passage of, of Scripture. The Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey... And they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with Thus with, or why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. In our text this morning, Jesus asked Mary and Joseph, Why is it that you sought me? I am aware that in the passage that we are looking at, uh, He is... Uh, simply inquiring of Mary and Joseph why they did not understand uh, where he was. He is saying, you should have known that this was where I would be 
And so he is uh, asking uh, that in that uh, frame of mind, and that is the thinking behind what he is asking. But this morning, I want us to focus on the question that he is asking, because he says, why is it or how is it that you sought me? Uh, and, and in some translations it says, why is it that you sought me? And this morning I want us to begin, and not just this morning, but as we continue through this series on worship to consider, why is it that we seek the Lord? Uh, there are a lot of answers to this question. Why do we worship? What is the motivation in my heart? And so it requires a self-examination. There are many facets to our worship. Often we speak of worship and we miss the real issue uh, behind worship. Sometimes we misunderstand what worship really even is. Scripture teaches us that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so our worship has to begin with the heart. And we must examine the heart. If we remember in Scripture, in the book of, of 1 Samuel, Samuel went to anoint king, a king to take the place of Saul. And he was there before... Uh, 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 to uh, anoint one of Jesse's sons. And, and as David's older brothers came before Samuel, Samuel looked at them and said, Oh, this one looks kingly. This must be the one. And then another. This one. And God tells Samuel, He says, Don't look at their outward appearance. Look at their heart. Did you know in our worship, a lot of times we can have the appearance of proper worship and not have true worship coming from the heart. And only God can see the heart to see the purity of our heart. Did you know a lot of times you can go to the doctor, a person can go to the doctor and say, I've got a headache and I've been having severe headaches and had this problem for a while. And, and the doctor can prescribe some kind of pain medication and never do any testing, just get, try to get rid of the headache. And never figure out what's causing the headache and eventually the person could die because they had a brain tumor or whatever may, may be the problem. Sometimes, if we go to the doctor, we expect the doctor to get to the root of the problem and not just treat the symptom. And so it is with our worship. Sometimes our worship is only an outward surface or what we consider to be our worship and we are not truly looking at the heart of worship. And we are only looking at the outside. And so we must go deeper and see something more than the outward expression of our, wor our worship. Different people have different personalities. And different personalities are going to be different in their worship. And the problem is, a lot of times, we take our personality and we read into our personality what our style of worship is, and we want to apply that to everybody. 
And we want to say, if you're not worshiping the way I'm worshiping, then your worship is not right. And sometimes we miss it. And sometimes, sometimes what appears to be right worship from the outward appearance is not the true worship. Why do you seek me? First of all, we must have true worship. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We must have true worship. But if we are going to have true worship, did you know words alone are not sufficient for true worship? In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Bible says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Then in Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 7, the Bible says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, He answered and said unto them, Wealth hath Isaiah prophesied unto you hypocrites as it is written this people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me Howbeit, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of me am I starting to sound repetitious I have read three times now from the scripture this people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Why? Because Scripture records it three times. Isaiah said it. Jesus quoted it in Matthew. Mark repeated it in the book of Mark that Jesus had quoted Isaiah. If the Bible three times tells us this people honors me with their lips and their heart is far from me, do we not need to take to heart that it is possible to honor God with our lips and our heart be far away from God? Words alone does not suffice. If something is repeated this many times in Scripture, then we need to pay attention to it. We can honor God. We can say we love God. We can say we worship God. We can say we praise God. And from all outward appearances appear to be lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and yet our heart not be in the right place. There is something else that is repeated in these passages. Because the latter part of, of that quotation says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Rules, regulations, a lifestyle is not enough to be true worship. 
we can live according to our what, what we often refer to as holiness standards. We can live a certain lifestyle. We can avoid going to certain places. We can avoid dressing certain ways. We can do certain things. And from all appearances, look right and our hearts still be far away from God. It's not what we say. It's not how we look. It's not where we go. And it's not what we do. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Just because we are doing what we call the work of God, just because we're involved in the work of the ministry, does not mean that we are true worshipers. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, the Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father. Obedience is required. We must obey. If we are going to have true worship, we must walk in obedience. He says, Have we not prophesied in thy name? Preaching. Teaching is not sufficient. We can proclaim the Word of God. Did you know, and, 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 and to be a true worshiper, as we're going to see, we have to follow the will of God and we have to walk in obedience. And part of that is going to be having the heartbeat of God which beats for the lost and dying and to bring people in. But did you know we can be a great witness and tell the world about Jesus Christ? But if we are not walking into, in obedience to the commands of Christ, it will avail us nothing. Here Jesus said they had even cast out devils in His name. Jesus didn't deny that they had cast out devils. He did not deny that they had done many wonderful works. He did not deny that they had healed the sick. And so, we have to obey. There is a deficiency in just preaching and, and teaching and proclaiming and there is a deficiency or a failure of miracles to provide true worship. We can work miracles. And it is not... That is why sometimes I become concerned when we become overly... Uh, 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 concerned about whether or not miracles are taking place in the church. I believe the New Testament church should have miracles. Jesus did say these signs would follow them that believe. 
But miracles alone do not prove that we are believing the right thing. Miracles are not a proof that we are right with God. We must have within our heart pure motives. God looks at the heart. What, are, what motivates us to worship? Some people are motivated by commendation. The praise of men. They worship because they get noticed. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel has, or Saul has sinned. And Samuel confronts Saul with his sin. It's in this chapter that he tells him that obedience is better than sacrifice. And in verse 30, Saul, and this is the second time that Saul makes this request of Samuel in this chapter. After having been rebuked for his sin, Saul says, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Saul wanted Samuel to worship with him so that he would receive honor from the elders. Sometimes we worship to be seen of people and receive the commendation of people. I've seen it. You've seen it. When people would begin to rejoice and, and, and maybe the Spirit of the Lord really was moving, but in services that they responded and worshipped in such a way to make sure everybody in the congregation saw them. You ever seen anybody praying and worshipping like this? Making sure people see their hands are in the air? I am amazed at the number of people and, and, and quite frankly, I see it becoming a pattern more and more often. When they worship the Lord, they have to move to the front of the church so that everybody can see them. Nobody seems to go to the back of the church to worship. They always have to come up front where everybody can see them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everybody that moves to the front of the church is doing it for that reason. But there are a lot of them that do. We do it for the commendation of men. And could I tell you, when we worship to receive the praise of men, the worship is not from the heart. The worship is not going to God. We are worshiping the creature more than the Creator. We are worshiping ourselves more than we are worshiping Jesus Christ if our worship is so that we receive the commendation of men. Not only is our worship flawed because we worship for commendation, 
But sometimes we worship for compensation. Prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 33, Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and the doors of the house and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray, and hear what the word that cometh from the Lord. And they come unto thee as a people cometh, and they set before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. But they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them a very lovely, as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do not do them. Jeremiah said in chapter 9, beginning at verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Sometimes the reason that we worship is to receive blessing. Sometimes even good people without thinking about what they're saying. I've said, you know, let's worship God and encouraged us to worship to receive a blessing. But if the purpose of our worship is to receive a blessing, we are missing the purpose of our worship. God blesses us. But if God never does anything for us, if God never blesses us, if we find ourselves in poverty and destitute, if we find ourselves in prison, if we find ourselves persecuted, if we find ourselves in, in tremendous trials, and it seems like we cannot see God anywhere, He is still worthy of our worship because He is God. He is the Almighty. He is the Creator. He is our Redeemer. He is our soon coming King. And He is worthy of worship whether we receive a blessing or not. And so if we are worshiping for compensation, our motives are impure and we are looking for the wrong thing. Then another motive is when we simply do it out of compulsion. When we simply worship because we are told to worship. As we get into this series, we're going to understand, or I hope that we will understand that our worship can be of, there are a multitude of facets to our worship.
as I mentioned at the beginning. So, uh, sometimes we are told to worship God when we may be worshiping God. Just the person that is telling us that we need to worship doesn't recognize it because they worship in a different manner or, or, or that's not their particular style of worship. And I'm not just, there's, there's more to it than just style. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is just part one of the series. So, uh, 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 this, is, this is going to take a while. I really don't. I I really don't have an endpoint yet. I just know that there are some things that I feel like the church needs to hear about our worship, and we need to understand. I feel like God has been dealing with me on some things that that the church needs to hear about our worship. Sometimes we worship because we are compelled to by whoever's in charge of the service at the time, whether it be the song leader, whether it be somebody that gets up to sing and, and says worship with me, or, or whether it be simply because the Scripture says that we are to worship God. But there needs to be a desire for worship that goes beyond just because we're told to. However, God rewards us sometimes for doing things just because we're told. Sometimes we may not feel it. You know, you know, if you're not in the habit of reading your Bible every day, if you're not in the habit of praying, sometimes you start that just because you're told to. And you do it out of obedience, not because there's a desire. But the more you do it, the more you begin to desire. There's a lot of mornings I wake up. And when I wake up and, and I head for my desk, I'm, I'm anticipating what I'm going to find in the Word of God. Then, the Bible teaches us that we need to know what the cost is. There is a cost to worship. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower setteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king setteth not down first? and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, 
while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. First of all, in counting the cost of worship, we must understand, and we've already mentioned it, but there must be obedience. It cost us obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Worship is an expression of love. If we love Jesus, we will obey what his word says. Not only must we walk in submission, there must be surrender. There is a close relationship between these two. Maybe I'm splitting hairs to differentiate between the two. But when you look like me, you've got to come up with as many hairs as you can. Um, the Bible teaches surrender. That's why sometimes we sing the chorus, I surrender all. We must surrender everything. To surrender means not only do we obey, but we give Him complete control of our lives. There is a misnomer within much of Christendom today. That we ask Jesus into our life. That we ask Jesus to come into our life as Savior. And then somewhere down the road, during the sanctification process, we come to Him and accept Him as Lord. But we cannot accept Jesus Christ as Savior without accepting Him as Lord. We must surrender. When we come to the altar for salvation, we must say, Lord, I give up. I, have, I cannot rule my own life. I am giving You control. And too often what we've done is we've asked people to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, to take Him into their life. And we've had people saying, Lord, I'm going through some rough stuff and, and I've heard these Christians tell me that you can make my life better if I'll accept you as Savior, so come be a part of what I'm doing. 
I'm just going to add church attendance to what I'm already doing. I'm just going to, you know, maybe we take it a step further. I'm just going to add Bible reading to what I'm already doing. I'm going to add prayer to what I'm already doing. But Jesus wants to take control. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything in our life is bad and that we won't do any of the things we've done before. But God wants us to think as He thinks. For our heart to beat as His heart beats. For us to surrender to Him. Not simply add religion to our life. And then, last of all, there is sacrifice in worship. In the book of 2 Samuel, and you can read the story in Chronicles as well, or uh, in Kings rather, David had sinned against God in numbering the children of Israel. God sent a plague among the children of Israel. And the angel of the Lord stood at the edge of Jerusalem by the threshing floor of Ariana. ready to destroy. And David was told to go and to make an offering before the Lord, a burnt offering before the Lord, to stop the slaying. So King David goes to Ariana, and tells him, I want to buy the threshing floor from you to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Ariana responds by saying, here's the threshing floor, you can have it. Here are oxen that you can burn for the sacrifice. You can use the implements for the oxen, for wood, to build the fire. In chapter 24, verse 24, David responds, And the king said unto Ariana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. Book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 15 says, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name.
our worship requires sacrifice. Our worship requires sacrifice. We look at the Old Testament and the instruction and the sacrificial system that was in place in the Old Testament. And sometimes we have a tendency to, to focus on that and say, well, I'm thankful that we don't live under that and, and, and we no longer have to do all of that. But it's because of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. But under the sacrificial system, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, there were offerings that were given for our sins. But this was not the only time that sacrifice was made in the Old Testament. There were times people came and said, I just want to worship the Lord. I want to honor the Lord. And they would bring an offering. Sometimes it would be an animal sacrifice. Sometimes it would be a grain offering. The priest daily burnt incense upon the, the golden altar. And the golden altar, uh, as you get into typology, you find the golden altar and the censers on the altar represent our worship to God. But it costs something. There was a sacrifice that was made in the worship of God. And far too often we want to come to God in worship and think that the only sacrifice that is made is that of our words and that of our speech. But it requires more. And I hope that within this series we will see there is more to our worship than simply the words that we speak. But that we will learn to offer up not just at church, but from our daily life. A sacrifice of praise. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. It is in Your Word that we find guidance and instruction. It is in Your Word that we find out who You are and Your plan for our lives. And it is in Your Word that we learn how to exalt Your name and to lift up Your name and to magnify the name of Jesus Christ and to worship Him as our Redeemer, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King, as our Creator, as our strength, as our song. For He is holy and He is righteous. And it is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. And we want to worship You out of a pure heart, 
out of a pure motive. We want to examine our hearts this morning and consider why do we worship Jesus Christ? Why do we seek after Him? Are we seeking after the praise of men? Are we seeking after making ourselves feel good? Are we seeking after a blessing? Or do we truly want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ? Because there is no one that can compare to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com. Thank you.